0: Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Hey everybody, welcome to the EquipCast. My name is Jim Jansen and I'm your host and I am excited to introduce you to a friend today. Matt, Matt, how long have we known each other?
1: It's been a long time.
0: It's been a long time, more than a decade.
1: 2008?
0: Yeah, 2008. We've been friends for a while. Um, We were both brokers, and so we made friends when the stock market crashed. No, that, (laughs) that was not what brought us together. Matt is an old friend. We were missionaries together with Focus, and Matt now runs a ministry, Sacred Heart Ministries. And I'm really excited to introduce him. So, Matt, welcome. Thank you for being here.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today.
0: Just give us a little bit of like your faith journey? When did you first encounter Jesus? I know your story, but I'm excited for you to share that with people listening.
1: I didn't grow up with much of a faith. Um, I came from a broken home. My parents split when I was three, divorced when I was five, and I don't remember them together. And uh, my mom was severely mentally ill. She had schizoaffective disorder, which is basically schizophrenia and bipolar at the same time. Is what she had. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty destructive. Um, I grew up in Lincoln. She moved to Omaha when I was five. And so I spent a lot of time up there with her off and on over the years. But my dad was an atheist, maybe an agnostic towards the end. I don't know, but he didn't have anything to do with God, didn't want anything to do. My mom, on the other hand, was raised Methodist. And then she started going to Assemblies of God in Bellevue Charismatic Church. But in 1984, I got baptized there. And uh, they did an altar call, and uh, my mom told me, she looked down, I was gone, and I was running up to the altar uh, to get baptized. And I remember getting baptized, and it was in a pool, full immersion, and I thought I was going to die drowning or something. (laughs) But when I came out of that, there was a lot of peace. And I had several experiences over the next couple years where I would experience what I know now to be God's presence and His peace. Um, Another one was at a Carmen concert we went to at the Civic Auditorium. And I remember explicitly walking from there to her car. And we had to walk six to eight blocks downtown. And I was petrified of Omaha, right? Because I came from Lincoln, very different environment, downtowns. But I had no fear. I had complete peace and joy as we walked from that concert to her car. And that's always stuck out to me. Mm. And so I was baptized and I had a bit of a faith growing. She would read me Bible stories when I was there and different things like that. But that didn't last very long. She was very sick and there was a lot of problems there. And so she would get institutionalized, end up on the streets, in jail, medicated, and kind of did that cycle for many, many years. So it damaged her and I's relationship and inadvertently my relationship with God. And so I fell away from that. I late junior high, high school, young adult years, did a lot of partying and drugs and alcohol and those kind of things. And had a pretty difficult road through all that. My dad really wasn't around growing up. I was raised by my sister um, and the situation was just difficult. When I look back now, I had a pretty severe deprivation of love. I just didn't have anybody there. I was left alone. I slipped through the cracks mostly. Mm-hmm. And so I found drugs, drinking, and it kind of made the problems go away for a minute at least. And that became my way of life for a long time. In and out of relationships, I got married, got divorced.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then eventually after that, when I was, it would have been 29, well, been 2006, yeah, so 29 years old. I had been in and out of a 12-step program for a long time. I had had a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, done a lot of things wrong. And I finally hit the point where I was on the edge, um, where it was either, I'm going to get some help here, or I'm going to die. And I was ready to commit suicide, which had been a part of my story before that, but this was different. Like, I had yeah. been to hospitals, I had been to places, and it had nothing ever worked out. But this night in particular, I went to a 12-step meeting, and... I didn't like it. I left about five minutes early because I didn't want to talk to anybody. But this guy, Pat, was outside. And he caught me and uh, started talking to me. We went to Metal Art Coffee in Lincoln. He cornered me on my life being a mess. And he looked at me and said, if you don't get God, you're going to die. And what he didn't know is that I had everything ready and planned to do it that night. And so we ended up talking for a bit. And I knew my life was a mess. And He uh, suggested I surrender my life to God. Mm. So half because I had no other answers and half to get him off my back. I went outside with him into the loading dock and we hit our knees and said a prayer surrender. And when I got up from saying this prayer, I felt moved to continue on with the step work in the program. So I got in my car to drive to Walgreens across the street to get a pad of paper and a pen. And coming up to this time of talking to him, all I could think about was using or dying. And I had no desire to use. I had no desire to die. And God was the as putting in my car. He was just there, mm-hmm. and now I—it was Jesus, but I wasn't intentionally praying to Jesus. It was just a nebulous God, right? <laughs> and that was the starting point of everything. And I ran down that path and did all my step work, mm-hmm. cleaned up my life, and made amends, and did all those things. And eventually met my now wife, Demetra, who was a cradle Catholic. And shortly, and within a few months after us getting together, she started going back to confession, going to communion again, and that was at St. John's. From there, I met Father Johnson, who's the pastor there. He's easy to get along with if you're out there in the in the nether world. He's uh, very good at outreach, for sure. He was just there for me. He was kind. He was loving. Yeah,
0: he's a, he's got a missionary heart.
1: He uh, met me where I was at, and he knew how to press the buttons when I needed them, and be patient when I needed it. He guided me to a relationship with Jesus along In the way. Uh, before I started RCIA, we went to Calcutta, India for a month. Well, we went to India for a month with Wesleyan University to work with Tibetan refugees. And I got to go with Demetra for that. And when we, before we went, Father said, you should look up the Missionaries of Charity. And so I learned about Mother Teresa then. I didn't know anything about them. I just knew the words Mother Teresa. So once I learned about her, that really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. Like her, the poorest of the poor. Who the poorest of the poor are over here. Mm. You know, I didn't come from a impoverished family. You know, my dad had plenty of money I never wanted for anything. I never worried about anything. Right. And I had everything. I mean, I knew how to ask so I could get what I wanted. All those kind of things. It was never an issue. But here I was suicidal all the time in my life. I had everything mm-hmm. right, materially and that the world tells you should have for the most part. But I was just a mess. And that really spoke to me. And so when we went over there to India, my sole purpose became to go to the mother house. So we got to volunteer there one day. That's great. And uh, the only thing I could tell you when I came back was I saw Jesus. And it was in a dying man that I was holding. And what it was, was this love that welled up in me for this man. And the reason that was so pivotal was because at that point in my life, I really didn't care about anybody. Like to love another person was so weird to me and so odd mm-hmm. that it shook me and stirred me. And I also realized that love was for me. Yeah. And so when I came home, that was like a Holy Spirit Hiroshima. It just opened everything up in my life. I saw my sin clearly. I wasn't out of the habit of it, but I saw it all clearly, which is not pleasant. And I knew I wanted that love. So I started going to Mass every morning because Jesus was there in the Eucharist. I wasn't receiving because I wasn't Catholic. Um, but I'd go to Mass every morning. Father gave me his old four-volume set of the breviary and asked me to start praying that. Started going to the Pink Sisters yeah. on occasion for adoration. And then that fall, I entered RCIA. And on uh, Easter, I came into the church. And from there, it's been kind of a whirlwind of things, you know, it's, you can't understand everything when you're a convert. Like for me, it was the sacraments. I knew Jesus was real in the Eucharist. And that was the thing I held on
0: to. You mean you didn't have everything all figured out after your six week crash course and Catholicism?
1: <laughs> Not at all. But over the course of time, like a lot of that stuff really started to, to fall into place. And my experience at the church initially was really, really good. It was, this is a family. Mm -hmm. And I, God gave me a graced pathway for the first handful of years, Mm -hmm. you know, of of not encountering difficulties like so many do. And that helped me to come into the church. As I started to grow, you know, I was always mentoring people and things like that, even before I was a Christian and uh, evangelization. I mean, I lit up like a Christmas tree almost immediately. You know But That's what happens when you actually encounter the living God. Mm -hmm. Right? Not that it's not an idea. He's the living God. Mm -hmm. And when you come into contact with him, it's Pentecost. You will go out the door. And I did. And so I opened up a tattoo studio and started evangelizing there and sponsoring guys in the church. Yeah. Eventually I knew tattooing wasn't it. And I knew evangelization and ministry was it. And so I think we met somewhere in there Yeah. and knew you were a focused missionary. Actually, what I wanted to do is what I'm doing now. And I met with you the first time to figure out how to fund it. And by the end of the conversation, we agreed that I should join focus, which was really awkward because <laughs> it was in no way what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I thought for sure I would go home because Dimitri and I just got married. So I figured for sure I'd go home and she'd be like, yeah, no, that ain't
0: happening. Yeah. yeah Fundraise your salary. You, you might get right? transferred someplace. Without
1: skipping a beat. She's like, yeah, I can see you doing what Jim does. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like seriously, woman. Yeah. So that started the journey there. and. You know that. I went to Focus for a couple of years and it was life-changing. It was more like purgatory most of the time, I would say, but very good. The further I get away from it, the more grace I see and how pivotal it was in my life. There was so much, you know, coming from the background I did where people are so humanly broken, mm-hmm. it was a very different experience to be around people who, well, everybody has problems, but the majority of the people I were around did not come from a background like I did. Mm-hmm. And so it was different to go to work and you'd be like, hey, go do this, go do that. And everybody would be like, okay. <laughs> in a tattoo shop, the people I ran, like, good Lord, you had to figure out how to get people to do things. And so there was a huge contrast there, humanly speaking. Yeah. you know, And it created a space for me to open up and become vulnerable, real, you know, in, in a different way. I was already kind of real before that, but I was very hardened and I had a wall up that was peeled down over the course of focus.
0: Matt, could you talk about the first time you walked into St. John's? Because, I mean, you haven't mentioned this. You ran a tattoo shop. You got the staff discount. You've got a couple of tattoos, maybe more than a couple. Talk about your reception at St. John's. Because that was a pivotal moment.
1: It absolutely was. When I went to St. John's, I didn't know anything about rectories, schools and all that kind of stuff. All I knew is was there's was a church. Mm-hmm. And so when I came to St. John's, I walked into the school and mm-hmm. that the reason that was so pivotal for me was because they didn't look at me like I was fully tattooed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, at the time, my wife was a teacher and it's public schools. There's a desk there. There's a hall monitor. They're checking everybody They're you know, when they come in. Well, at that time my life, you know, and this is before, maybe even a little bit before tattoos are as common as they are now. People look at you sideways. They treat you different and things like that. But when I walked in, the secretary didn't treat me any different. Yeah. It's like, hey, how's it going? What's up? What can I do for you? You know? And I was looking for Father Johnson. She directed me to the rectory. And that was huge. Like I said, they just didn't treat me any different. I was just like you or anybody else. And then father, when I first met with him, you know, he's jokes quite a bit and he was in his office wandering around and he was like, Oh, where were you baptized and confirmed?" I was like, Oh, I'm not Catholic. And he stopped and he looked at me very slowly. He's like, aren't you afraid you're going to burn in hell talking to me? It's like, what? Who is this dude? You know? Yeah. But that's how our meeting went. Our first meeting, first handful. He would just joke with me. and He treated
0: you like a person.
1: Answer my questions. And yeah, absolutely. And I was barbed. I was sharp at that point still. I was pretty sharp. But he just ignored it all and saw my soul and worked on it. Mm-hmm. And so that was huge for me. Because my biggest wound in life was being abandoned, neglected, not seen, yeah. not loved. And so what I experienced there, and I've never said this before, I'm just coming to me now, is like they saw me.
2: Yeah.
1: They saw beyond the tattoos, they saw beyond the surface, and they saw that I was a human being and they received me. And that's really what the church is supposed to do. The mother's role is to receive the child, right? And if our church is a mother, that's the very thing she should do.
0: Matt, I wanna give you a chance to talk about. I remember learning from you when something would come up, meaning like you could feel something rubbing, grating, exposing something that the Lord wanted to work on. Mm -hmm. I remember you did this crazy thing you would go and pray. <laughs> and I remember I had, you know, I had been doing a lot of personal retreats, had exposure, you know, to Ignatian spirituality. And so I had some of the gift of discernment of spirits and awareness that I would recognize the same thing happening in my life. But what I would do is I would fake it, yeah, you know, like looking forward to my prayer time tomorrow. And I just kind of hold my breath and got it out. And you would just go to the chapel and pray for a little bit, sometimes for a long bit, but usually just for a little bit. And I remember thinking, you can do that. Talk about that. Matt is feeling and recognizing his need for God, and he's going to him.
1: You know, I had an addiction that almost ruined my life a number of times. Everything from prison to mental hospitals to death. Mm -hmm. And it destroyed many, many relationships in my life. And so just pushing through Never worked. Like I I had a condition that meant I had to get down to the causes, Mm. right? And the thing that I learned was it's the distress in my own heart that's the cause of that. Addictions aren't the issue; they're the solution to our problem. And they can become a problem. I'm not saying they're not a problem, but they're our chosen solution. And so, what I learned to do was to figure out what was happening in my heart and bring it to the Lord. And that's really the gospel. You know, Paul says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mm -hmm. Most of us think we have to kind of get ourselves together, get our nature together so God can build on it. Mm -hmm. You know, grace building upon nature isn't even the statement. That's a mistranslation. It's grace perfects nature. Mm -hmm. Grace enters into the nature and then brings it to perfection. And so what I learned to do was that to bring him the distress that I was feeling or experiencing and invite him in and let him into it. And then he would dissipate it.
0: Yeah. Nerd alert, we're talking about Aquinas here, grace building on nature, is sometimes misapplied to be, well, as soon as I get my crap together, then God can do it. And you're like, no, 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 no. The habit is not fix me so that God can work. It's let God in and he'll do the fixing.
1: Absolutely. And that's the the main thing that we have to do in our spiritual life to heal, to grow, intimacy, fruitfulness, any of it. It's that, it starts right there. It's as simple as that.
0: So Matt, let's talk a little bit like, what do you do now? What's your day job?
1: (laughs) I'm the director of the Office of Vandalization and Spiritual Formation for the Diocese of Lincoln. I have an apostle at Sacred Heart Ministries. And so for the diocese, I oversee evangelization and spiritual formation for the diocese. We do more with spiritual formation, I would say. Mm -hmm. We're working with the parish evangelization directors and setting some things up there. But most of it's the spiritual formation. What I've identified in our diocese is that we need spiritual formation. Mm -hmm. There, You know, like in the focus mindset, there's win, build, send. We're not built up enough to win yet so much there are people who are but overwhelmingly as a diocese we're more in the the building place or even winning amongst ourselves and coming to know the lord in a deep way so i spend most of my time there overseeing things like unbound lincoln lincoln equipping team things like that and then i give a lot of eight-day retreats out the retreat house four-day retreats i'm in spiritual direction and over the last five years that i've been Meeting with people, doing more and more spiritual direction, and trying to help parishes become schools of prayer. What I really started to notice was the presbyterate was in need. There was a need there. And the way this came about was via my own frustration with them. Getting irritated, annoyed, seeing things, hearing things, stuff like that. And what's interesting is for a long time, that created a chasm between me and the priests internally within me because I was frustrated and I was agitated. But when I brought the pain forward and the difficulty forward, what ended up coming in was love, was the recognition of the need that was there, Mm -hmm. the compassion. And all of that kind of erupted around the time we had a scandal a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Things got really difficult there. It kind of brought all my own frustrations to a crescendo point where they had to be dealt with. And it was in that process that the compassion really came and the love came. And so now most of my day-to-day work is spent meeting with people, priests, religious, laity. Almost all of them are apostolic now. I don't have been very many who aren't anymore. Um so helping those who serve to live in the intimacy with God and serve out of that intimacy, not out of their need or out of some duty or something else, but from their generosity and love.
0: Matt, let's talk more about that because most of our listeners, some officially work for the church, some have business cards, but everybody, they're they're working on their personal apostolate. Talk about learning how to serve from love and relationship and not a need to be needed. Talk more about that.
1: Well, yeah, we all serve from some place. Have you ever heard the old saying, yeah, therapists need therapy more than anybody else? (laughs) Yeah. So the reason for that, it's a beautiful image here. I'm not trying to attack therapists because most people who sort of fall into this category, actually, they've experienced stuff in their life They've been hurt, they've been harmed, they've seen things, heard things, done things, whatever. And so they've developed a, a level of compassion for people like them. And so they want to go serve and help. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times they do launch out in serving. But what it can end up being is trying to seek to get their own needs met through helping other people. Mm -hmm. And what they're really doing is serving out of their need and out of their pain. And they can be useful and they can be helpful. But frequently that becomes an impediment in this area of God's grace moving. Mm -hmm. Because what we really need to have is a heart that's full of love and generosity. The thing people don't understand is that we can't give what we haven't received. Mm -hmm. So if I'm not filled with love, I'm not going to convey the love of God. And the reality is, is we have to receive everybody as Christ right? The Benedictine sort of motto there. Yeah, We receive people as Christ. And if we're going to be sons and daughters of Mary, and we're going to hold people in our heart, which is what we're called to do, then we have to have a space in there that's filled with love for people to enter into so that they can encounter God. Because this is the main thrust of the gospel is the indwelling Trinity. God dwells in me the power that brooded over the darkness at the beginning of time, that created everything out of nothing that is holding everything together right now, that power dwells within us. And when that power permeates us, we're filled with the fruits of the spirit. We drip the fruits everywhere we go, the peace, love, patience, kindness, Mm -hmm. people eat of those fruits and be nourished. Mm -hmm. And it's a whole different kind of serving. You're not totally dependent on best practices and tools and all of those kind of things, because God has the freedom to just move and touch.
0: You're free from attachment to the results. Mm -hmm. You you don't need it to succeed. You don't need to be accepted or received because you're giving out of a, a freedom of love and not a need to be significant or appreciated or whatever. Absolutely. I feel like I've seen, maybe you can speak to this. I feel like I've seen this phenomenon with veteran ministers who've been serving generously and fruitfully, and then the Lord brings them to this place where he begins to frustrate in a loving, merciful way. He begins to frustrate their their ministry Mm -hmm. and they get stuck because he wants to deepen and purify their mode and their their motivation for serving. Can you talk a little bit? I mean, we're in deep water, but just since we're here.
1: First and foremost, God is calling us to a deeper intimacy with himself through the service we're offering. This is first and foremost.
0: Rather than contrast that with
1: with fruitfulness and numbers and whatever. Those things aren't unimportant. Right. Like we need people and we need to grow and all those kinds of things. But first and foremost, it's about drawing us into a deeper level of intimacy through the service we offer. Right. To a deeper identification with who we are and the purpose that we're created for. Because each one of us has a purpose.
0: Yeah. So if we can't say that our labors are drawing us closer to him, you know, with integrity, Mm -hmm. but we have to be able to say, No, my labors are drawing me to him. Yes. Not just drawing others.
1: Correct. Like I'm encountering the Lord as I'm serving people. Like I'm so open and receptive to the Lord that when I minister to this person, I'm ministering to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I'm being touched. They're being touched. And I'm coming into more amazement and wonder and awe at God's action and his love for this person and me. And when you meet with somebody, sometimes their stuff touches your stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. People are not always easy. People can be annoying and have all kinds of weird things that are difficult. And that's part of him drawing to study deeper intimacy with himself as well. Because yeah. he wants to draw the garbage from our heart to the surface, so we can surrender it to him, so he can enter in more deeply and make us more loving, compassionate.
0: Matt, talk about this in the context of the family, because I'm starting to smile. There, it's you know, it's like sometimes you know, you said sometimes our garbage or other people's garbage touches our stuff. I was like, sure. yeah, all the time in family life. You know, it's <laughs> like I can love other people's kids. It's just my own kids that annoy me because you know their faults rhyme with mine. Talk about how this manifests in family life because you're a dad.
1: Well, that's the point of family life. So something that I look at that I found really interesting is in the Byzantine tradition, the marriage ceremony is intimately tied with martyrdom. They get crowned in the Byzantine tradition and they're the martyr's crowns. They wear them for a time during the service and then they're pulled off and they're usually framed and hung on the wall so that when you get to heaven, you get your martyr's crown. Wow. When Deacon Keating was directing me, one of the most annoying things he would say to me on a regular basis was, Matt, you know, your wife's there to kill you. Or are you going to die an hour later? What are you doing? Right. Yeah. Because that's really the point it's for the good of the spouses and the procreation education and children. And so, within the context of this vow that we make of permanence, we drop our fig leaves and we expose ourselves exactly how we are. And that is scary. Mm-hmm. That means shame's coming forward. That means sins coming forward. That's messy. Our kids, I mean, they're the fruit of our communion. So they're both the good things for my wife and I, as well as the garbage that we're forming right into them, Mm -hmm. right? As we're being purified. And so my kids end up being a real reflection of me, Mm -hmm. you know, my own sin. I get to see right there. Oh yeah. Thaddeus said that where he got that. He heard it from me one too many times. Mm -hmm. So the whole family life is this context. It's this big mirror where we get to see our own hearts and we get to, let the Lord enter in more deeply there too. And it's the grace of the sacrament. You know, being a sacrament, it is a visible sign of an invisible reality. Mm -hmm. And this is really important. Something the Lord showed me is that, you know how the priest is Jesus in persona Christi? Mm -hmm. Well, in our marriages, the husband is Christ, the bridegroom. That's what the sacrament does. He's no less Christ than the priest is Christ to his wife and to his children. And the catechism says that, the wife is identified with God, the helpmate. Mm-hmm. So she is God for me. Demetra is God for me. I was whining. I went to gave a four day retreat in Bismarck to the students that you marry. I was on my way back and it was an amazing retreat because I only had like four retreatants.
0: That's right. Yeah. I think we
1: talked on the way back from that retreat. I had like four retreatants. So the rest of the time I got to pray, it was amazing. It was quiet in front of the Eucharist all the time on my way home. I'm like, Lord, I need more time from the Eucharist. Can you show me how to do this? He's like, yeah, I'll just go spend more time with Demetra. Mm. And as he told me that, it finally clicked. No, she is the visible sign of Jesus in my life, literally. When I hug her, I'm hugging Christ. I'm hugging God, right?
0: Right, Mother Teresa, yeah, like the poor Jesus in distressing disguise. That's my spouse someday. So that's that's me or my spouse, most days. Absolutely. Matt, you talked you talked earlier, little unlikely story that the Lord has is using you now. He's using you as a minister to ministers, you know, doing spiritual direction for priests and religious. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about the experiences of priests today as they try and lead and pastor through this. I don't think it's ever been easy to be a priest, but there is there's something exceptional about this moment. Can you speak to that a little bit?
1: A little bit, maybe. I'm not a priest, so I can't completely speak to that. What I observe is it's no different than the rest of the church, a lack of being rooted and grounded in the sacrament of baptism as a beloved son. Mm. They get extensive formation in the sacramental priesthood in different things. I mean, mm. there's probably improvements they can make, but they know what the priesthood is. They know what they're supposed to do. They know they're supposed to administer the sacraments. They know they're supposed to teach. They know they're supposed to pray. They know they're supposed to do these things. But if they're not rooted and grounded in the sacrament of baptism, rooted and grounded in being a beloved son, then it's a hollow thing. We all know that God's not going to deprive us of the sacraments if they're needy than mortal sin and living their life clear over in left field. We still get the sacraments right. and praise God for that. Right. But it's a whole different thing when you encounter a priest who knows he's a son and he's filled with the love of God as a son, mm-hmm. it's a whole different ballgame. Just like in the home, when you have a father who knows he's a beloved son, who prays and who lives in the depths of intimacy with God, your family's completely different.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, this is back to like earlier conversation. Like, are we serving out of a need and a wound mm-hmm. or are we serving out of an overflow of love?
1: And, and this is the thing is that, love is the thing that breaks through darkness. That's it. We talk about speaking the truth. Love is incarnating the truth. Mm-hmm. That's what love is. God is love. He also is the truth, right? On the way, the truth, the life. And so we have to incarnate and embody love. And so for a priest in particular, he's got a very special role with us. I had an experience um, at John the 23rd here one day. I went to go by my office to grab something. And it was at the end of a healing mass that they had done. And Father Barak was doing the healing mass. And outside, there was all, all the people who had helped with it, like the prayer ministers and stuff were all sitting at a table. And I forgot my keys, so I couldn't get my office. And so I was like, hey, is Father around so I can borrow his keys real quick? And one of them was like, he's going to dinner with us right after this. And she got snarky with me. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Let's, I just need his keys. It's okay. So I got his keys, got my office all out. I'm leaving, driving home. And I'm sitting there pondering that. I'm like, what is the deal? And the thing that came to mind as I was praying about it was when I walk in the door at home, my kids bum rush me. They are so excited to see me. Yeah. And these, this, this person in this group was so excited to go to dinner and just waste time with Father, yeah. doing nothing of real intention. And just be with them because he's their father. Yeah, He's their spiritual father. And I think when I look at the priesthood and I look at the parish, this is the thing that that has to enter back in. You know, for whatever anybody may think of Father James Altman, like him or love him or anything else, he had some controversy there. If you ever listen to his homilies, he always starts out calling his parish family Mm. every single time. And that's really important because that's what the church is. It's a family. And he's a father. And we are simultaneously his bride and his children. But our presbyterate via the years and ordination, we've, we've struck such a hard division between the vocations mm-hmm. that it makes it increasingly difficult. And the way we talk about all this stuff is very difficult. But the thing that I see happening is God's really trying to move this back into the familial setting. You even see it after Vatican II in the liturgy addressing God as father continually, us as children. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a whole thrust in the last 50, 60 years towards this.
0: So Matt, if, some, if somebody is listening to this, a lay woman, man, that they're listening and they're like, yeah, I want that. I want our parish to feel like a family. I want, I want to support, you know, do a better job of supporting uh, my, my pastor, our parish priest. What would you say to them?
1: Be a good bride and child, meaning be healthy yourself, healthily relate, be honest, be open,
2: Mm.
1: um, have respect, do the fourth commandment with him. You know, an observation I would have, Mm. you know, you know, this having children, they will whine nonstop and complain about all kinds of stuff that isn't going right. Yeah. That's cute when it's a two, four, six or eight year old. Yeah. But when it's a 45 year old and a 65 year old, Doing the same thing to a priest
0: <laughs> or a pastor,
1: yeah, it's a little bit more difficult to deal with at times.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: <clears throat> there isn't yeah. always a loving, nurturing environment for them to be in.
0: In. What about for the priest listening? Maybe they have a, you know, 45-year-old acting like an 8-year-old and the <laughs> uh, what would you say to be to be in, an encouragement to them?
1: Meditate on Ephesians 5. Be as Christ is to the church because mm. that's really his role. Well, you could also look at 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 4. This is all about this. It's how do you lay down your life for your people? It's how do you keep your hand out with love and take all that's coming to you? And respond in love? How do you bless those who persecute you? Have you done the inner work to be free of your people? And when I say that, what I mean is this there's no chapter in uh, John's gospel where Jesus is up on the Mount of Olives, moping, and Peter comes up and starts stroking his hair, and he's like, Lord, what's going on? Are you okay? <laughs> And Jesus is like, man, do I really have to be with these people? Like, all you guys want me to do is multiply food. You want to be on my right and my left? Like, seriously? Come on, guys. That sounds completely ridiculous coming out of Jesus' mouth, mm-hmm. but it's not ridiculous coming out of ours. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is Jesus is so rooted in the father's love as a son mm-hmm. that nobody can shake him. Nobody can destabilize him and move him. So men, as we're working with our families or a priest with his parish, when we're being shaken and destabilized by our people, what it says is that we need to be a solitude with God. John Paul II in theology of the body said Adam was a solitude before he became unity. And the solitude is to be completely okay rooted in God's love as a son, Mm -hmm. completely stable. And when you're there, you don't have a need for anybody else. Adam didn't need Eve. He was given Eve so that he could finally reflect God completely by being a multiplicity of persons, ceaselessly loving. And so Adam is free of her to be able to love her. He doesn't need her. Mm -hmm. He chooses her. And so his need is filled. And so for the pastor, it's really to get real about their own heart. Clear back to the very first thing we talked about. You said, I go into the church, right? Or into the chapel and pray. It's yeah. It's these places of pain and hurt and need that this Lord just simply needs to enter into. And the more we do that day after day, situation after situation, the more filled we are.
0: I think that's the challenge. But then I want to give you an opportunity to put the cherry on top of this. I think the challenge is like, when you feel it, that like, I, I can't, I don't have it in me that this whining, this, whatever it is in these other people that I'm interacting with. It's, it's bringing up you know the ugliness, the junk in my own heart to go to the Lord at the soonest available. Don't hold your breath until like, well, uh, you know, two weeks from now, I'm going to go on retreat or, you know, I'm going to like, no, as soon as I can, I'm going to take a moment and invite the Lord in I'm not really asking for words here, but what do people say? What do people do when they go then? What do do they do when they take that moment?
1: So the feelings are good and they're part of how we listen and we receive information. As a matter of fact, if we don't feel it, we will not know we're loved. Yeah, Which isn't to say everything needs to feel good, nothing like that. But we do need to have lived experiences of being loved in order to believe we're loved, to be filled with it. We're emotional creatures, right? Yeah. So that being said, this is also why therapy is so big. It's because where are we all twisted up are emotions, right? So unkinking them, dealing with them, there's a reason that's big business. Mm-hmm. And so what I usually tell people to do is to embrace the emotion you're experiencing. What we usually want to do is get rid of it as quick as possible, solve it, fix it, get rid of it, shove it away, put it away, run from it, whatever. And it's actually the dead opposite. Enter right into it. Embrace it. Open to it. Yeah. Look at your pain and your hurt with eyes of love our culture so shame-filled. Right. Historically, when I would experience these things, I would just start berating myself interiorly. Like, Seriously? Get over it. Blah, 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 blah. You know, any number of things to move beyond it, which is not how Jesus looks at us.
0: So to be clear, you're not saying like, I'm feeling angry and Matt Simmons said, I should go on a rage rampage. You're like, bring that anger And whatever is actually underneath it, the like, I just got slighted. I felt insulted or overlooked. Bring that to the Lord.
1: Yep. You want to open that to him and you want to feel it all and let the Lord enter into it. And he'll still it. Now, anger is a particularly important one because anger is usually a cover emotion Mm -hmm. for fear or hurt of some kind. Right? So when I'm dealing with anger, I usually really try to find out what's underneath it. Yeah. Evagrius and the Desert Fathers talk about how anger is the thing that makes us most like the devil. Mm. Meekness and humility is what makes us most like God. Meekness is the antidote to anger. So figure out what's underneath it. And this is the real work of faith. When I went to Lincoln Berean Church, Pastor Brian used to always say, step out on faith, step out on faith, right? And he meant evangelizing and telling people about Jesus. And I've done enough of that now and had situations where it's uncomfortable. To really realize the biggest stepping out on faith is to go into your heart in this place, yeah, and the reason we don't a lot of times is because we don't feel like we can control it or manage it. We might get taken by it, We might capsize, we might sink. And so to trust that the Lord will actually meet us there is really important. But the other thing about that is when he does, telling something about Jesus is nothing. Yeah, like if you can wade through, the mountainous, cavernous deserts of your heart, then talking to crazy people out here is nothing. It's really nothing. Wow. That's the most difficult place you can ever go and evangelize your own heart.
0: So you're saying when we are feeling the depth of our own brokenness, our own wound, the best expression of our faith is to be willing to acknowledge that, to expose it, to kind of lay it before the Lord and trust that he can handle it.
1: And maybe come at this from another angle. If I'm going to see the doctor because I have a gash on my leg, I don't play keep away from the doctor about my gash. (laughs) I flop that thing on the table and let him do it. If he asks me about it, I'm not like, oh, it's okay. I've got a hurt leg. He's like, well, what happened? Oh, it just hurt. Like we wouldn't do any of that in the natural order. But in the spiritual and the emotional and the interior order, on the other hand, we'll evade it as much as possible so just simply flopping it out there, letting it be there, embracing it, inviting the Lord into it, keeping your eyes focused on him. If it's something you can't do alone, have a spiritual director help you. That's probably something to mention here is yeah. if you're a person who has a lot of trauma and more increasingly so people have more and more trauma and it can be really scary and difficult and some people might get consumed doing that if you're feeling insecure shaky about that or don't want to do it on your own by all means talk to somebody get a spiritual director somebody who can accompany you in that
0: and i would say for those maybe if you're more like me and you're like it's not so much trauma as is as maybe an undiagnosed ADD sure journaling is really helpful the ability mm-hmm. to leverage the system of grammar and the concreteness of pen and paper to get out those emotions and thoughts that feel so elusive that are a little hard to, to capture, to get those out, to present them to the Lord and then watch him uh, work. Matt, this has been fantastic. Where, where can people go if they want to learn more about Sacred Heart Ministry?
1: You could go to matsimmons.org. It's the primary website I use now. It tells about what I do and can be contacted there as well.
0: Fantastic, Matt. Thank you. Thank you for your work. Uh, thank you for your friendship. It's been so fun to watch the Lord work in your life. I've had privileged glimpse of a short period of it, but man, it's yeah, it's a it's fantastic to see what the Lord has done. And we have so many friends in common that have have benefited from from your ministry. So, thank you for what you do.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me, and I wouldn't be here without you.
0: Thanks, everybody. All right. You got your action point. When you're feeling it, don't close your eyes if you're driving and maybe not if you're walking either. But when you feel the need, you have permission and actually a commission. Stop and invite the Lord in when you feel the need. Thanks, everybody. God bless.